0: Good morning, good to see you this morning, glad that you're here, Uh, those of you joining us online, glad to have you here too, Uh, we welcome you back here next week by the way, hope you come back next week, hope you all come back next week too, if you're a guest of ours, we're honored to have you with us this morning, I had a, uh oh, Change the slides for me back there, okay? I have no idea where I put the little flipper, but okay. Um, okay, see, we're off to a great start already. Yeah. Listen, I don't, wanna, I don't have to tell you that we live in a world of sound bites and listicles, right? Uh, we pick up, we process news and information 200 characters at a time. I mean, I don't want to hear the whole story. I don't have to hear both sides of the argument, I don't want to read the whole book, I don't want to watch the whole movie, I don't want to listen to the whole sermon, just give me something that I can tweet, right? Or give me a listicle that I can read and understand in like 20 seconds. Just give me some information that I can process really quickly, regardless of the source, regardless of, you know, uh, how credible it might be, I just want to get it quick and I want to get it uh, to where I can understand it easily, uh, more and more people are getting their information, forming their opinions on this kind of you know resources. You see it on social media all the time. Six milestones every toddler should reach by the age of four. And if yours hasn't reached number three, you need to call your pediatrician immediately. Right? Uh, five important life lessons we learn from cats. What is the fascination with cats and the internet? I don't get it. Go from mummy tummy to six pack abs in four easy steps. <laughs> Click on that, right? Twelve meals your toddler will love. All of which consist of macaroni in some form. Right? But we love getting news in those short bursts of information, concise lists. Well, I'm a preacher. So I've got my own listicle to share with you this morning. Hit that slide for me. It's the seven most important chapters in the Bible. We love to argue about lists that we read online. Here are the seven most important chapters in the Bible. You'll see the source of that is TOTUM. That's an acronym for Tim on a Tuesday morning. (laughs) So yeah, this is my list on Tuesday morning, It might change a little bit, you know, on a Friday afternoon, but this is what I came up with sitting at my desk on a Tuesday morning, which is where most of these lists come from, by the way, some guy in his basement on a laptop, right? But here are my seven most important chapters in the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, pretty important. Uh, Luke chapter 2, the birth of Jesus. Psalm 23, I had to put something in there for David, you know, the the greatest writing by the world's greatest writer, so Psalms 23, I think, is one of the seven most important chapters in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, it's my list, so I get to put that in. Um, Acts chapter 9, the conversion of Paul, and my wife and I argued about that. She said John chapter 1 should be in there, but... But I put Acts chapter 9 in there, Matthew 28, the resurrection as well as the Great Commission, then Acts chapter 2, the beginning of the church. Now those those lists, we like to argue about those kind of things, and I guess we could all argue about those seven most important chapters in the Bible. I'm sure someone will stop me, several people will stop me in the lobby and say, this should have been on there, this should have been taken off. It's not really the point of the sermon, okay? But I think most Bible students, as well as Bible scholars, would say Acts chapter 2 belongs in that list. Acts chapter 2 is a monster chapter. And we have talked a lot in the past several months about the second chapter of Acts. We see the Holy Spirit poured out on the apostles... Peter stands up in Jerusalem and preaches what we call the first gospel sermon on the day of Pentecost. Also the greatest gospel sermon ever preached, by the way. Three points. Jesus Christ is Lord. About 3,000 people received that message, repented and were baptized. And then when you get to the end of Acts chapter 2, we get a glimpse of how those very first Jesus followers were living their lives. We are so impressed with uh, the second chapter of Acts that we have adopted 242, going back to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, sort of as a theme, a focus here at Bay Area. We want to serve. We want to live. We want to love. We want to follow, just like those first century Christians lived and loved and served and, and followed. But listen... If we're not careful, it is really easy to romanticize Acts chapter 2. It's almost as if there's a a flute playing in the background. The the Shire and the Lord of the Rings, right? Everything's perfect. Everyone's happy. Everyone is on the same page with everything about it. Uh, They're sharing, they're serving, they have all things in common. Their numbers are growing Daily. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that, right? But guess what? Acts chapter 2 is the beginning of the book of Acts. It's not the end of the book of Acts. By the time you get to the end of the book of Acts, and really the rest of the New Testament, is this painful, difficult struggle of living out this life of a Christian, of doing life together. Acts begins with everything great. People are all uh, living in what sounds like total harmony. The rest of it is really the mess of community. They heal a beggar. Well, who invited him into the group? And then an Ethiopian eunuch gets gets converted. How many of those people do you want in the group? And then there's a Roman centurion. Hey, newsflash, we hate the Romans, especially the soldiers. And then, don't get me started on the Gentiles. Oy they the Gentiles. Right, this tight little group that is so great, all of a sudden it's getting pretty diverse in ways that no one really saw coming. And then on top of that, it seems like the whole thing's kind of going sideways. I mean, followers of Jesus are getting harassed. They're getting arrested. They're getting persecuted. Stephen is stoned to death. In fact, just a couple chapters in, and people are actually fleeing Jerusalem for their lives because of the persecution that's arisen from them being followers of Jesus. I mean, the book of Acts begins with this beautiful soundtrack, you know, kind of playing in the background of perfect peace and and harmony. By the time you get to the end of the book, it's like the soundtrack of Jaws playing, you know, everything is unsettled, everything is unresolved, troubled. But I think the rest of the book of Acts is really the perfect argument as to why what happened in Acts chapter 2 had to have happened. And that community and that unity and that bond that gets formed in Acts chapter 2 is vital not just for this group of Christians to to survive what was coming down the road, but actually thrive in what was coming next in this life that they're living together. Now, last week I I talked about the fact that it's God's plan that nobody live a life of loneliness. That no one live a life in isolation. That we're created in a way to be known and loved and to love other people, to be cherished. And God's plan for that, His strategy, is the church. Again, it's a beautiful thing when the church becomes the church. Well, what did that first church look like? Well, I hope by now this is uh, familiar to you. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread into prayer. They devoted themselves. We've talked about what a strong word that word devoted is. They understood how important it was that they were serious about studying what the the apostles had to say about Jesus. And they understood the need to be in each other's lives, to kind of get rid of the, the facade that they put up, you know, those masks that they were wearing, just be real with each other. They understood the need to to share meals together, to be in each other's homes, to really get connected. And they were devoted to prayer. They understood they had to be devoted to prayer. And it appears that this happened all the time. These first followers of Jesus, this is just how they were living their lives. This didn't happen at least like on an hour on a weekend. They were meeting every day in the temple course. They were meeting from house to house. I got to thinking about this this past week. How many of you remember your first day of middle school or junior high? For me, it was junior high. No one, okay, a few people. I, I remember, for me, it was seventh grade, and I remember my first day of seventh grade. It was the day I went from the little school to the big school, although for me it wasn't a very big school, but it seemed big. It was a lot bigger than the little Pin run elementary school that I was used to, okay? Four different elementary schools go to the consolidated junior-senior high school. So the first day of seventh grade was kind of a big deal. And I remember being very anxious about going to the first day of seventh grade. You know what I was worried about? It wasn't my classes. Certainly wasn't my grades. I wasn't thinking about that. I wasn't worried about the longer bus ride. I wasn't worried about getting lost in the hall. There was only just one hall. The thing that I was worried about who am I going to sit with at lunch? That's what I was anxious about. What if Johnny Fayok's not in my same lunch? What if Leon Kinsey's in a different group? Who am I going to sit with? Who's going to be my friend? I don't think we ever outgrow that question. I think as adults, we still are anxious about, who's going to be my friend? Who am I going to connect with? And the reason we ask that question is because we all understand just how important community is. We understand that we were made to live in community. Now, I've been telling you all along that community is a good thing. Listen, it's a God thing as well. That's how we're created. That's how we're wired to live in community, to live our lives connected to other people. And all the way back in Genesis chapter 2, God looks at creation, this good creation. Everything's good, and he says, uh-oh, something's not good. And you know what he said wasn't good. It's not good that man should be alone. This guy's all by himself. So he creates Eve. And here we have this first little community. Adam and Eve, they kind of started the whole thing. God made it pretty clear from the beginning, this isolation, and aloneness, lack of togetherness. It's not a good thing. So community is a good thing. Community is a God thing, but it is also sometimes a very elusive thing. Some of you are in a season right now where you're finding it very difficult to make friends. Finding it very difficult to make connections. To find a place where you feel like you're known. Find a place where somebody might miss you, you know, if you didn't show up. Some of you are new to this area. And we're still in a pandemic. And you remember your old friends back home and you're homesick, and you're lonely. Or maybe you've been in this area for a long time, but boy, I just haven't been able to connect with anybody. You know, I'm busy, everybody I know is busy, we all got stuff on our plates, lots going on. But when I put my head on my pillow at night, I'm lonely. I need some friends. I need some people who, who, who know what's going on in my life. Because we understand that just because we're with people doesn't mean that we have people, right? We're LinkedIn, we've got a thousand friends on Facebook, but that doesn't mean we're doing life with anybody. Community is a good thing, it's a God thing. But it can be a very elusive thing. And it could come to one of those things where, okay, I'm really tired of hearing about it. Probably tired of me talking about it because I make it sound so easy. I make it sound so wonderful and, and so beneficial. But for you, it's really been an elusive thing. So the question becomes, how do I find community? How do I find community when i found it to be such an elusive thing? Well, I've got a place for you to start, but I'm going to tell you, you're probably not going to like it. You've got to start somewhere, right? There's a first step to everything. Here's the first step to finding community. You have to take the initiative. You have to do something. you got to get out of your comfort zone a little bit. The first step. You know, I loved how Jesus challenged people when they wanted something, when they were hungry for something, when they desired something. Jesus said, you got to take a step in that direction. Ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek. And you'll find, knock, the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, who seeks, finds, to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Notice everything that Jesus offers, everything that Jesus promises in that text is predicated on me taking a step, on me taking some kind of initiative. Listen, God has always given us the dignity of choice. And this is really important when it comes to relationships. Finding a community that we connect with starts with us seeking a community that we connect with. And I know that's really simple, and I know that's really basic, but I think some of you need to hear that today. You need to do something. You need to take some initiative. Say, well, what do I do? Well, maybe start small. And introduce yourself this morning to three people that you don't know. I bet there's three people in this group this morning that you don't know. And you can blame me. Just say, hey, the preacher told us we had to do this. So I don't think I've ever really introduced myself to you before. I'm Tim. If you're an introvert, just introduce yourself to one person, okay? But start somewhere. I'll give you another way. This is going to sound pretty bold, too. Show up on Wednesday nights. (laughs) There you go. I guarantee if you're here Wednesday night, you'll get to know people. It's a whole different vibe here on Wednesday nights. Uh, Relaxed, easy. There's some great classes for the kids and the teens and the adults. Uh, Yeah, come on Wednesday nights. Or I'll give you another way to get uh, involved in people's lives. And that is, join a life group. I keep telling you that next week, you're going to be here next week, right? Everybody do this. You're going to be here next week. Next week, we are launching our revamped 242 groups, life groups. Um, I'm going to talk a lot about it next week. Uh, But for a couple minutes today, I want to share with you just sort of the structure of that, a little bit of the nuts and bolts of what that's about because I believe it's really important that you understand it because if you understand it, you'll buy into it. Uh, Jimmy DeBose is the elder that is over our life groups. I think everybody knows Jimmy. Wave your hand. Jimmy's sitting over here with Renee. Jimmy's our elder over life groups. Jim Ingram, who I think everybody knows. Jim's sitting back here. Wave your hand, Jim. Jim's sitting back here with Charlene. Jim is our deacon over life groups. In the past, these life groups have sort of been completely focused on small group Bible studies, Um, been meeting in the area, meeting in homes, meeting virtually quite a bit during this pandemic. That's a really important part of of who we are. We're not taking our foot off the gas of encouraging you to be involved in a life group Bible study. We, We want to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. We want want you to join an existing Bible study life group. If you're a part of one now, we want you to stay in that group or find some other group but be a part of a group. Uh, If you've never been a part of a life group Bible study, my challenge is try it. Try it for a quarter. Try it for a month. Try it for one time. Just say, hey, I want to join your. I just want to check it out, okay? Can I sit in? Just see how it fits for you. Listen, we can't call ourselves followers of Jesus and not be studying the Bible. We can't. We've got to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. It's where we find everything that pertains to life and godliness. Uh, The psalmist says it this way. I study your instructions. I examine your teachings. I take pleasure in your laws, your commands I will not forget. We want you to be involved in a life group Bible study. But when you read the end of Acts chapter 2, it looks like they went much further than that. And it looks like they went much deeper than that. They weren't just devoted to the apostles' teaching, they were also devoted to the fellowship. We are calling this special interest life groups. What what exactly is that? It's just getting together with brothers and sisters, getting together with your friends, and doing what you like to do. It's as simple as that. It's just some people getting together and doing what they like to do. And I'm really excited about that. Because I think there's a thousand different directions that this could go. Uh, Special interest groups might consist of maybe some young moms getting together on a Saturday morning and walking in a park together. Might be some guys playing golf on a regular basis. I like to run. I like to jog. I don't want to run as far as Josh runs. And I don't want to run as fast as Crystal runs. But I would love to get together with some people and just jog around somebody's neighborhood, you know, once or twice a month or something, and just, just share that. Um, you know, there's, this is already going on, by the way. Josh Starks has been having a, a cooking class you know, in the middle of the lockdown. He said, I'm going to have an online cooking group. And so people have been getting together and, and trying to cook different things. Janet Zippe said, I think it'd be fun to get together and Make cards with some other people, and a lot of you have been getting together uh, for card making. When I was in Tallahassee, there was a group of retired guys that were part of the Romeo Club, is what they call themselves, as retired old men eating out. <laughs> and they just got together and ate out. Like every other week, they would go to a different restaurant somewhere, and they did it for years. You thought I was going somewhere else with that, didn't you, that Romeo club? Yeah, yeah. Uh, someone suggested maybe a to-do crew. You know, what if some families got together and once a month they spent a Saturday morning working in somebody's yard, hoping somebody would know, clean up their garage, you know, whatever. Just some time spent together. Okay, who decides what those groups look like? Well, you do. <laughs> you decide what they look like. You decide what they're going to be. Yeah, we're going to have some people in place to help you as far as the structure and communication and organization, that kind of thing, but know, I don't know what you're interested in. I don't know what you'd like to get together with, with other people to do. And I've already been asked, and I'll answer it now, are these special interest groups Bible study groups? Maybe. Probably not. What they are is getting people together to get to know each other, to get to trust each other, to make connections. When we start sharing our lives, will we get to trust others. Now, I reference it fairly often because it's one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament when it talks about Jonathan strengthening David in the Lord. If you know somebody, if you have a friend who can and does strengthen you in the Lord, that is invaluable. You know, when you get Christians together doing anything, good things happen. And when you get together doing anything with other Christians, you're going to be encouraged. You just are. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's Bible study life groups. They devoted themselves to fellowship. That's special interest life groups. But then they also devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. That's, That's hospitality. That's just sharing in hospitality. I think it was three years ago... Harry McKay gave me a book. The title of the book was The Gospel Comes with a House Key. It's a pretty simple little book, but it sort of reminds us that good things happen when we open our homes, when we share our homes. Special things happen when we're in each other's homes. Special things happen around a table. Most of us like most Americans, I guess, live in communities now. But they don't live in community. And our lives are lived online, but not so much on the front porch anymore. We've got to get comfortable being in people's homes again. We have all these bigger, nicer, more comfortable homes, but we're not using our bigger, nicer more comfortable homes for the sake of the kingdom. Listen, I'm convinced that hospitality is so close to the heart of God. God perfectly models hospitality for us. He invites us in. He makes us family. He seeks us. He gives us a place at the table. Think about how many times Jesus was in someone's home. Uh, He knew the importance of hospitality. Luke uh, chapter 10 is just one of many. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a village where a woman named Martha welcomed them into her home. We've got to get back to welcoming, welcoming each other into our homes. And by the way, several of you do this all the time. But we want this to be a part of who we are. We want to get more comfortable doing that, more comfortable in someone's home, more comfortable having someone in our home. Sometimes we're the host, sometimes we're the guest. But you think about it. What if a, a group of this family? Now I know this isn't for everyone, but what if there's a group of this family who got very intentional about hospitality? What if in the next 12 months, next 18 months? Every person who attends Bay Area has been invited to someone's home. What if when a guest comes, instead of a smile and a handshake, go sit down, they actually were invited into someone's home for a meal. You think God could use that? You think that'd be a good thing? Yeah, we've got to be devoted to hospitality. And then finally, next slide please. Uh, They were devoted prayer i mentioned they had to be devoted to prayer tons of scripture on this Uh, i've put on the slide first john chapter five this is the confidence we have in approaching god that if we ask anything according to his will he hears us and if we know that he hears us whatever we ask we know that we have what we asked of him At the end of last year, I spent, I think, six or seven weeks going through a series on prayer and the importance of prayer. You know, nothing that we are talking about, nothing that we have been planning, nothing that we're dreaming about is going to happen without prayer. Nothing that we're forming and nothing that we're trying to to implement is going to happen without God being involved without prayer being a big part of that. So we're going to be forming some prayer life groups. Groups of people who are going to commit to to praying for specific needs, praying with specific people. What's that going to look like? I don't know. I'm not quite sure, but I know we're going to be more of a praying congregation, more of a praying family. So four different types of groups. Bible study, fellowship, hospitality, prayer. Next week, I'm going to explain these a little bit more. I'm going to introduce you to four couples who have agreed to sort of head up each of these uh, different two forty two groups. You can have a chance to ask some questions. Most importantly, you're going to have a chance to take some initiative. You're going to have the chance next week to do something. Listen, we want everyone connected to someone. We want everyone to be a part of some connection here in this family. We're going to have a lot of different ways for you to do that. But we want everyone doing life together. And you might say, well, you know what? That doesn't sound very evangelistic to me. Sounds mighty inwardly focused. Listen to what I'm about to say. The vast majority, the overwhelming majority of evangelism doesn't happen right here. It happens when we're with friends. It happens when we're just working with somebody, playing with somebody, talking to somebody, sitting around a table with somebody. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, he didn't give it to an organization. He gave it to a bunch of people. He gave it to you, and he gave it to me. The Great Commission, go and make disciples, that's on me. That's on you. Most of you have been in the kingdom long enough. You don't need that explained to you. We share Jesus. We love Jesus. When we're around people, our lives should be reflecting Jesus. And all four of these groups, we want to share the good news of Jesus. I'm excited about that. Corey Tinboom said this, When a Christian shuns fellowship with other Christians, the devil smiles. When a Christian stops studying the Bible, the devil laughs. When he stops praying, the devil shouts for joy. Sounds like she read Acts 2.42, right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread into prayer. those who are being saved. Again, I really want you to be here next Sunday. It's really going to be important as we kick this thing off that you're here next Sunday. Those of you joining us online, we're going to get back to church pretty soon. Next Sunday's the day, okay? Next Sunday, make every effort that you can to be here as we kick this thing off. Is it all going to be perfectly figured out? No, it's not. But listen, we've got to pull the trigger sometime. We've talked about it a lot. It's time to do something. It's time to take that step. How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in unity. We're a family. I've talked a lot about the fact that, that we are a family. Look around. This is, this is your family family. A little bit dysfunctional at times? Yeah. We've got our crazy uncles and our awkward aunts. I get that. We frustrate each other. I know I frustrate you a lot. But we're family. And as sincerely as I can say it, I want you to know I love my church family. I love this family the best people I know in the world are in this room. We're a family. And we've got to start working together. We've got a lot of work to do. We've got a lot of kingdom work to do. And it's going to take all of us. So, so be here next week and come with an expectation. An expectation to take a step toward this 242 focus. An expectation to allow God to use you as a part of us in the kingdom. Next week. For this week, as a family, if you've got something going on in your life that you just, you need prayers, the people who love you, something going on that you need to share, maybe it's a praise report. If we can help you as a family in any way, I'm going to invite you to come to the front and let us know how we can do that. Let's go ahead and be standing while we sing.